boy's got utter belief in it. And somehow she found the acceleration. The world's greatest elite marathon is in the books, 2021 London. But did you know one of the winners wasn't allowed to celebrate? Marathon fans, are you ready for the greatest two days in U.S. marathoning history as New York and Boston are Sunday and Monday? I hope so, but did you know they've just both been dumped on by the Valencia Marathon? A marathon in Baltimore this weekend is going cupless and has self-serve refill stations. 17-year-old Japanese high schooler has run 13.31 over the weekend to set a new 5,000-meter 8.17 world record. Do you know who has the 8.19 world record? All of that and more on this week's edition of the Let's Run.com Track Talk podcast. Let's Run.com co-founder Robert Johnson here, welcoming everyone to the show. Super pumped to be here. Joined, as always, by a staff writer, Jonathan Galt, as well as former major... Marathon winner, not Abbott Marriage and Marathon winner, but major marathon winner, Marine Corps marathon winner, Weldon Johnson. Great to be here, Robert. I'm super excited for this weekend. We've not had a Boston Marathon in two and a half years. It's well past time to remedy that. We've got an American record attempt in Chicago. I'm going to be boots on the ground in Boston. I'm just very excited to see some old friends, to talk shop, to interview the runners. Covering a major, I haven't covered a major marathon since 2019. It's been too long, so this is exciting. It's a big weekend, John. Hard to believe no Boston for two and a half years. That shows how long this little thing called COVID has been affecting us. I like my Boston marathon on the Patriots Day, but it's no time for Debbie Downer. You know, it being on Columbus Day. Oops, excuse me, Indigenous Peoples Day. It's a little bit different. But I think we can celebrate it. And John, you talk about American record attempt. Yeah, I assume you mean Galen Rupp in the men's race. No one is giving Galen Rupp any love. We will get to that. The weather in Chicago, though, is not good for American records. And the reason I know that is Let's Run.com web guy, Eric, is running the Chicago Marathon. Now, I only know that because I follow his post and he posted on the forum. Supporters Club members, you can follow anyone on the forums, get notified when they post. Great feature. Thank you to all our Supporters Club members. So I saw he was running. I emailed him, said, hey, I didn't know you were running Chicago this weekend. And he writes back, very worried about the weather. Weather, 68 at the start, 75 at the finish, 15 mile an hour winds with gusts up to 30. Not your ideal running weather. But Eric said, I'm embarrassed that the podcast marketing worked on me with LMNT. I actually ordered a few boxes and use it a lot. I had something of an epiphany with all the hot weather, how much hydration helps, especially in the long runs. I'm going to carry a few packets with me in the race to get salt during the race. There you have it, ladies and gentlemen, a ringing endorsement from Eric for drink LMNT. Now, are you guys stupid? You got to listen between the lines. I'm not some shill. If I say I love a product, I love a product and you guys should try it. So if you want electrolytes without the junk, Go to drinklmnt.com slash let's run. You get a free sample pack for $5. Six different flavors in the sample pack. You see which one you like, then you order more. If you don't like the sample pack, I will personally refund your five bucks. So far, no one has taken me up on that offer. So try Element. But before Chicago, before Boston, we had the granddaddy of them all. 
the world's most competitive marathon year in, year out. The Virgin Money London Marathon was this past weekend. And it lived up to the hype, at least on the women's side. Five women going sub 219. Showing, one, how uncompetitive the American records are. But two, showing we're in a new era of marathoning for sure. Jocelyn Jipkowski gets the win. Huge payday for her. Everyone who breaks 219 got 75 grand. So you throw some money out there, boom, fast times. Yeah, when you think about big storylines from London, what are we going to remember a year from now, five years from now, 10 years from now? I mean, I really think that Jocelyn Jipkowski's win is the biggest storyline here. She had set the half marathon record three times when she was a half marathoner. She's now moved to the marathon. She's run great all three times she's raced. She's won two majors, New York and now London. So big win for her. In terms of the men's race, I'm not sure what the big storyline is. Like Sisse Lime, I mean, he's he's a strong marathoner. I think it's cool that he won. 0 for 9 in the majors, 0 for 13 if you count Dubai coming into this. And by the way, we're going to have to start counting Dubai, Valencia, stuff like that as majors because – the quality of those fields are just as good, if not better, than many of these Abbott World Marathon majors. So it's cool that he won, but I think his win just reminded me of like how amazing Kipchoge is. Like this is a guy, you know, you run enough races, you're going to have a bad day. Eventually, you're going to someone's going to have a bad day. You're eventually going to win. But generally, if Kipchoge's in the race, it's not true. I guess it was true last year, but I'm not sure if there's anything as big of a storyline in the men's race, but I felt vindicated right before the race started. I looked at the Dark Sky app. I looked at the weather forecast, which direction the wind was coming, and I said, you know what? They're going to really slow down from 30K to the finish, and that's exactly what happened because the women's, you know, according to the pace charts, they were women's only world record was on was on, was on de- jeopardy at 30K. Looked like they were going to have a super fast time in the men's time, and they really slowed down coming home. I agree with you, Robert. In terms of big picture, I think Jep Cosguy's win is the thing we're going to remember. She looks like an absolute marathon star. And I'm hoping at some point next year, maybe in Nagoya, maybe London in the fall, we get a real showdown between her, Olympic champion Perez, Jip Chia They raced last year in Valencia, remember? And then Bridget Cosguy, who I think it's safe to say was not quite at 100% having run the Olympic marathon eight weeks earlier. If we can get those three together, those are the big three, I would say, in the women's marathon right now. That would be a fantastic race. What really struck me, though, Weldon mentioned this, was just the times. I mean, do you guys realize, I thought about, I thought back to four years ago, 2017 London Marathon, when Mary Katani ran 2.17, and then Tiranesh Dababa was second in 2.17.56, Katani ran 2.17.01. That blew my mind. I couldn't comprehend how fast those times were because we had Paula Radcliffe running 215 back in 2003, but no one had even touched 217 or come close since then. In fact, going into that race, the 2017 London marathon, four women had broken 219 in the history of marathoning. And we had five do that in one race in 2021. So it's just ridiculous to see the progress that has been made in this event the last few four years. And you also have to reevaluate what these times mean because going into the race, we're like, well, this is the deepest field ever. We've never had quality like this. In fact, we may have had quality like this in London a few years ago. The problem is everyone gets an extra one or two minutes on their personal best now because of the super shoes. 
But th- this was a tremendous race, and you know, Jocelyn Jep caused guys. She was the class of the field. She made that big move right at the thirty-five k drink station, and she got the victory. John, great stats as always. For the record, what year were you saying that was? Heading into twenty seventeen, London. Yes. And do you know what happened later that year in twenty seventeen? Let's put a big ass asterisk, asterisk next to Shailene Flanagan's New York City win. Mechanical doping at its finest. I think you honestly, you know, I'm glad that Shailene won because it makes her an American star and whatnot. But you need to add at least. I, I, I just when I see a time now, I add two minutes to it. That's what I do. I just think, okay, two seventeen forty three. That would have been a two nineteen forty three, back in the day. Um, maybe it's a little bit faster, but certainly more than a minute. I had a couple other observations here from watching London. I watched the, the end of the races on Monday because I was away over the weekend, didn't get up to watch it live, unfortunately. But I did then w- go back and watch the replay. I thought one thing was interesting was the drink station. So oftentimes in these major marathons, that's where athletes will try to get a gap because some of them are going to the right to get their drinks. It's a time it, the pack almost naturally accordions, and then others will try to capitalize that. And that's what Jeb Cosguy did at 35K. She didn't go for her drink, and that's where she made her move and gap the field. Whereas in the men's race, at 35K, there were two athletes who didn't go for their drinks, and that was Evans Chibet and Bohanu Legese. But it backfired. Those two actually ended up finishing fourth and fifth, and the winner was Cissé Lemmer, who did go for his drinks. So I thought that was quite interesting, just the sort of the divergent strategies, divergent outcomes. Now, Evans Chibet did get some of... Vincent Kipchumba's drink. He offered it to him. But I found that kind of interesting. Say those names again, John, for the men at 35K. So in the and the men, Evans Chibet and Cease and Bahanu Legese, they did not go for their drinks. The other three guys in the lead pack did. The three who went for their drinks finished one, two, three. The three who didn't finished fourth and fifth. I just asked for the names because it's interesting, like how much they fell off in the last 7K, you know. Chibat finishes fourth, a minute 42 behind. Legese is fifth, over two minutes behind. So you're right. <laughs> That's the other thing about the modern marathon is just interesting is, you know, you used to have people fall off easy. Now they seem to just run with the leaders as long as they can and then blow up at the end. So at the very end, I mean, Lemon has never won a major, 0 for 9 or 0 for 13, depending on how you're counting it. He celebrates, was very happy, as he should be. But then I see the time, and it's 204.01, and that's $25,000 thrown out the window because if you break 204, you get 75000 If you break 205, you get 50000 I think. And that really bothered me. I'm like, just pay the dude. And I'm like, why do they have these artificial barriers? I think it should be a running time zone. Like, it should just, if it's 75000 for sub 204 and it's $50,000 for sub 205, then just in between, it should be like $74,080, $74,050, whatever it would be. See what I'm saying? So you don't have some artificial barrier. Let the guy celebrate. I disagree with that take. It's not an artificial barrier. Saying you're a 203 marathoner is very different to saying you're a 204 marathoner and how people evaluate you. I think it's fine to have that barrier. And I also watched the replay of this race. People are criticizing him for celebrating. He didn't really do all that much celebrating. He didn't look like he slowed down all that much to me. He put his hand out for a second. You know, I think he put his arms out right before the finish. Now, maybe you could say, oh, if he really like gutted out and did an all-out sprint, he could have gone even faster. But he looked like he was bringing, going pretty close the whole way. He ran 204.01. You would have to get an extra two seconds to run 203.59 to get the time bonus. 
I'm just not convinced that this guy was sandbagging as much as everyone was saying he was. Well, no, but just two seconds. If he known, like, if he put a gun to his head and said he's got, you're gonna die if you don't run two seconds faster, I think he could have done it. I don't know. I mean, Kennedy Spikale came two seconds short of the world record in 2019. He couldn't have gone two seconds faster, I don't think. But that's true. Maybe I think they should have a, a little line on the course. But I know London, England's not as lawsuit happy as United States, but I do think if there's any London barristers that could help this man out, I think he should sue the London organizers. I think his I think that his celebration was justified because I assume he knew this. I didn't even realize this until this morning. Great reporting by Sean Engel is is always on The Guardian. This was his only chance to celebrate. This guy was denied his spot on the podium afterwards. Quote, Lemmy was also unable to celebrate his shocked victory on the podium because fellow Ethiopian Kende Atna had failed a COVID-19 test and was forced to withdraw the race the night before. And when he was deemed one of the close contacts, so he was immediately spirited back to his hotel. It laid to the strange sight of his agent, the 67-year-old Italian Gianna De Madonna, standing on the podium, holding the flowers and looking highly bemused. We've got to get a photo of this. This is amazing. Maybe I should make a t-shirt of this. But congrats to Mr. A 67-year-old man, Mr. Gianna Dan Damadano, has now sat on top of the World Marathon Majors podium. Congratulations to him. I, I saw this picture. First of all, it's Gianni Damadano, Robert. He's one of the most famous agents in the sport. He had the winner in London on the men and women's side with Jocelyn Jep Kosgai and Cissé Lemma, which is really hard to do. But it was fairly amusing. It's also just an absurd like, situation. So the guy can run 26.2 miles breathing on everyone in the lead. He was at the back of the lead pack, so he was breathing forward onto these guys. Well, I don't know if that really makes a difference. But he's on the start line. All this stuff's fine, but he can't stand on a podium, which was very large. There's plenty of room to distance with, a, like, a mask on. Come on, people. And, John, in fairness to Robert, he can't pronounce Shalane Flanagan's name either, so Italian names are especially hard for him. Oh, this is crazy. This gives me hope. I might become an agent only during COVID and represent a bunch of athletes, expose them to a bunch of people with COVID right before the race, and then get on the victory stand. You can take, what, 20% of their money? Isn't that how it works? 15% usually is the standard. One last thing on London that I thought was interesting. I don't know if you guys, how much you watched the race. Cissé Lemo was running the whole time. He was at the back of the lead pack. And I thought if there's anyone that's not going to win this, well, I knew the outcome, but I was looking at him like, this is the guy that's going to win. The guy that's sort of struggling to hold on the entire time. Who's barely in contact with the leaders, but he just never went away. And then ended up breaking him with a few kilometers to go. It just was, it surprised me. I think maybe I learned a lesson. If you're still with the lead pack, maybe I shouldn't be judging as much about where you are just as long as that you're still in contact. So we did what Mo Farah's done in every single track race of his life. No, I think you. I agree with you, John. Most of the commentators were stunned as well. He also did, well, I guess, what Jacob Ingebrigtsen did in, the, in in Rome this year. Or I guess it was where was it in Florence? But when he ran that twelve forty eight, I remember watching that race and thinking, God, I thought Ingebrigtsen was supposed to be the real deal. This guy looks terrible this year. And then he wins the race a few minutes later in twelve forty eight and goes on to win Olympic gold in fifteen hundred. So. Don't judge a book by its cover. Well, spe- actually, speaking of that, Robert, am I am I going to get in trouble by saying that I thought Cissé Lemon looked uncommonly muscular for a mar- major marathon champion? I th- noticed watching him and Bahanu Legese, these guys are kind of ripped for marathoners. And I usually think of marathoners, you know, these small little skinny dudes. 
And both of them, fairly muscular guys. So I, I found that interesting that, you know, Legesse didn't run as well in the race on Sunday, but he's also a top-tier marathoner. Well, John, I think you have to apologize for other things before you apologize for that. I mean, some on the message board, Twitter, mob are upset with you because you did call the winner in your preview, Sissé Lemmy, an afterthought, and he won the race. But I actually think you were right. I mean, nobody would have thought this guy would have won the race going ahead. I mean, he had a good PB, but he was never winning. As I said in, our, in, our, in my recap of the race, it reminded me of Hendrick Mala over 20 years ago, I think. Um, well, not quite 20 years ago in New York. Guy was like over 10 in majors and won it. So, Yeah, the one point on Lemma, maybe I should have given him more credit. He was third in London last year. He was only two seconds off the win. But the problem is there were so many other good guys in this race. It's like... Well, I'm going to say he was a favorite when I thought he was probably the seventh favorite. There are a ton of studs, and he ran really well. Actually, and then there's another point I wanted to make on this in London. Maybe we don't need to speculate about it as much until we have the full details, but I did find it interesting. Their big plans this year was to make this the biggest London Marathon ever, 50,000 entrants. And normally, the London Marathon is the most exclusive marathon in the world. They have hundreds of thousands of people get turned away in the lottery because everyone wants to run it. And in 2021, they got 35,871 finishes, which obviously is well short of their goal of 50,000. They did have another 22,342 virtual finishes. So their big thing was this combined is the biggest marathon event ever if we combine virtual and official finishes, 57,213. But I was a little surprised and just curious to know seems like race numbers are down. Runners World had an article across the board. Marathons, even the ones that are coming back, aren't getting the same kind of numbers. And I'd be interested to hear from someone at London you know, why they think that is and was this because they couldn't get 50K or were there other reasons? I, I'm just kind of curious to know the reasons behind that. Yeah, they talked about 100,000, 50,000 virtual, 50,000 in person. And they got, what, 57,000 something total, sounds like? I'll be curious to know why the 35,000 live, if they actually took more precautions than they said they would. But yeah, I think people, if you're going to travel internationally or whatever the deal is, just there's still restrictions in place. And some people are just like, nah, I'm going to stay at home this year. There's just some of that obviously in society. But I'm kind of surprised because these races usually are just like strong, strong sellouts. It's like it's not a question. They could have double the numbers that they have. So it would be interesting to see what you find out, John. Yeah, I'm I'm not trying to criticize London. I I think it's good they got 35,000, and I hope that they're back to their normal numbers moving forward. But I'm curious about it. Does anyone take, though, like a little – is this bad for me? I'm kind of glad the virtual race didn't have that many. I mean, 22,000 is way bigger than I thought, but I'm like, why would you bother? If you could run the real one, the virtual, I just, that does nothing for me. Maybe that's just me. I'm done with the virtual races, at least for a while. Johnny, I think you should reach out to him and get an official statement because I was going to praise them in the week that was for doing 50,000 to say we're back, you know, but we're not quite back. So maybe there wasn't the interest or maybe, I, I don't know, maybe it's a COVID thing. I mean, Personally, I find myself, despite being vaccinated, not doing as much stuff. I mean, I, I even asked Boston, Chicago, on back-to-back days this week, and I'm like, "Why aren't we sending someone to Chicago?" But John can't be in two places at once, and then just my son's not vaccinated, so I don't travel nearly as much. 
I'm actually in the midst of an eight day, eight day, eight today of a 14 day quarantine from him from school. One of his little buddies tested positive for COVID. So the school is shut down for 14 days. I just think people, I don't know, despite, you know, even though a lot of, most people are vaccinated, they're not traveling as much. All right, let's go to Chicago. That's race number one of the marathon doubleheader this weekend. Robert, can we get a weather report? Because this is the thing. I got an email this morning. I was saying, you know, that I bet we're going to have a similar situation in the men's race to 2019. There's a bunch of 211, 212 Americans who are probably going to be wanting to go out and run 210. And then this email from Let's Run Reader, Declan McDonald, he pointed out he thinks that's way too aggressive. He thinks the winning time is actually going to be over 210 because it's supposed to be quite warm and a little windy in the Windy City this weekend. So can Let's Run.com weather expert Robert Johnson weigh in? Yeah, this, I guess, can we call this email of the week by Declan? I just read Jonathan Galt's preview for Chicago. I think he's underappreciating how rough this weather will be this weekend. I'm calling it right now. No American, including Rupp, runs 210 or better, and the winning time is over 210. So, official dark sky weather update on the weather for Chicago, which is the Windy City. By the way, it's the Windy City because it's a corrupt city. It has nothing to do with actual winds. Did you know that? I did know that, but I like when there's wind, I like making the little pun play. But thanks, Robert. But the race starts 7.30 local time, 68 degrees it looks like. It's going to be about 75 at the finish Um, with... Steady winds of 15 miles per hour during the race with gusts up to 31 miles an hour, dew point of 62. So right before we recorded the podcast, I called let's run.com coaching and stat guru, John Kellogg asked him, you know, this is a guy basically before Boston, whenever that year was when they had the big tailwind, he's like, look, they're going to smash the course records. And he was right. I said, how much is this weather going to impact it? And he thought, you know, he guessed between three to four minutes. He thought, I think that the, you know, basically the the temperature would be 90 seconds. And then the wind might be another 90 seconds. So, and then he was adding on a minute just because of fatigue. But it's kind of interesting. If you look at the course map, I mean, they kind of run north. The wind's going to be coming out of the south. So they're going to have the wind at the, in the back at the start. And then they run down into the wind. So a big portion of, of the race sort of like 8 to 22 or something is going to be run into the wind. And then at the end, they do get the tailwind for the last like two or three miles. But certainly not great conditions. But look, I know a couple years ago they had a 209 winning time. It's not that bad. So I think that this weather definitely takes the American records off the table. So no American record for Sarah Hall. I didn't think that was going to happen anyways. But sub 210? That should, well, I guess three to four minutes. If it's 205, it could be 208, 209. No, we're definitely going to have a sub 210. Speaking of American records, you said records. Weldon, I believe you've got a hot take you want to unfurl about this race. Thank you, John. Yes, I do. Everyone's been hyping up this Sarah Hall American record attempt in the women's race. And like no mention of Galen Rupp getting the men's American record. Now, because of the weather, I'm going to say it. Neither record's happening. And Eric, I hate to tell it, you're not going to break three hours either. Is that wrong for me to say? Like, he listens to the podcast. I have faith in Eric. I think he can still do it. I actually think he, he can too, maybe. He says he can run 255. Eric, be conservative. You can do it. I'm sorry for doubting you. But 
Okay, these records are so soft. We're talking about 210. 210 isn't good anymore. I'm sorry. I hate to tell tell you. The men's record, 20538. John, I think you pointed it out. It's like 168th all time now. Is, is that the number? It was it is 191st. Now that is counting some of the ineligible courses like Boston, but it's the 191st fastest marathon ever run. And now Dina's record is a little better. 219.36. Yeah, that's 48. That's 48. That's the harder record to break. And Galen Rupp, he's won Chicago before. This is the modern era. Ruben Kipiego, who may be the favorite in Chicago this year, he ran 203.55 in the Milan Marathon, and he didn't even win. Like, 204 is like, a pretty good marathon time these days, but 205.38 really isn't. And Galen Rupp, I don't know why we don't think if he's on his A game, good weather, 204, no problem. I agree with you, although 100%. I do think that he would get the record. I don't know why it was not talked about, but I don't think Sarah Hall has had any chance of getting, well, really small chance. I said, I would, I would have, I posted on the message board, I would be happy to be, the house and take 10 to one odds that she doesn't get this record. Um, I mean, she, as John said, she came about a minute away from it last year, but in perfect condition, set up a course run design, basically a time trial type course with male pacers. Right. Um, couldn't do it. She's not been running as well this year. She's a year older. She's not going to break the record. I expect Rupp to get this record. I didn't think about it. This weather is disappointing that. Cause like, I would like to see Rupp run New York, try that for once. He's never done it. And so I'm assuming he's doing Chicago just because he wants to run fast. He would have had more time if he did New York. It's always weird to me that he's never done New York because Salazar was such a big name in New York. That was his idol, his coach, etc. So the weather does disappoint me, you know, on that front. Because, you know, Chicago's also added some people to the field this week. It's kind of, I don't know. I mean, it comes out, like, what, three days before, five days before the race. They've got a, a brand new number one seed. They've got 17 14 people have left the race and 17 people have been added to the race. There now are two extra sub-225 women, so that's good. So in case the big favorite falters, you know, an American won't win it by default, which I thought would have just been not right. Um, but I don't know. It's like these races need to be announcing these things ahead of time. In August, when they came out with their elite field, I said, look, are you guys going to add more people? They're like, this is our field. I'm like, no, but you generally add people. And I think they need to announce it more than a few days. I know that we're probably the only people in the world that are writing previews and analyzing this stuff, but you need to treat yourself like a major sporting event. Um, so, but if an American woman does win this race, people are debating what would it mean because there aren't that many foreigners. And I just pointed out that Lisa, what's her name? Rainsberger, John? Yes, I believe her maiden name was Lisa Lawson Weidenbach, but yeah, now Lisa Rainsberger. She was the last woman to win Boston before uh, Des did it, and no one pointed out the fact that she basically won Boston in a year when all the it was kind of the start of the professional era, and all the big pros skipped Boston because they weren't paying anything. So she was still viewed as the Boston Marathoner winner. People like us were like 10 years old and didn't realize that she, there was a big asterisk next to it and always talked about it. So if an American does win, they will still be the Chicago marathon champion, but the, the, the weather's got me a little bit bummed out. Yeah. I mean, look, if an American wins, I think it depends on how the race actually plays out. Like if this is, if America is duking it out with Ruth Chepengedich, who former world record holder in the half marathon, two seventeen marathon, or one of the fastest women ever, 
Or they're duking out with Vivian Kiplagat, who was one Abu Dhabi, who's run 221. Those are two pretty legit women. You know, if you go in head to head and beat them, I don't, I don't really view that as a massive asterisk. And you're, Robert, you're putting, throwing this asterisk on like Shalane Flanagan's win in New York. I mean, look, yeah, Mary Katani, she was dealing with a period, but Shalane still went up against her and some pretty good women beat them head to head. I don't really put it in. I mean, I think Katani's period is something you mentioned, but I don't really put a huge asterisk on it. But the same thing with this. Like, if they're going up against these women and they outrace them, fine. But if there's some massive disaster that they have to drop out and it's basically just whole wins by default, then yes, I think then you kind of put an asterisk and say, well, an American only won this because there are only two real elite international women. Yeah, the Chicago field, I've never seen anything like this. 17 people added 14 pull out the week of the race. So clearly they've known about this a long time. It's a bit bizarre, unusual. And, you know, when you look at the fields, they already had Ruth Jepengidich, former world champion, Sarah Hall. Those were the headliners. And then it was a huge drop off to their credit. Chicago has added Vivian Kiplegat, who's run two twenty one eleven one Abu Dhabi, as you said, John, but then it's crazy. The next best Entrant in the field, Cara D'Amato of the U.S., 222.56. And no offense to her. She's a, she's a solid runner, but I'm never thinking like, oh, she's a world marathon major type runner, winner. And she's the fourth seed in this race. And then the sixth seed is Emma Bates, actually. So the Americans can do well if they run well, because there isn't a lot of depth to this field. Credit to Chicago for adding a few people. And... But just showing how much more deeper, I guess, men's marathoning is in general. I mean, Galen Rupp, past winner of this race, he's the eighth seed at 206.07. I can't believe that's his PB. I wanted to get into this Rupp conversation, well, because you sort of mentioned, like, you're surprised that's his personal best. Shouldn't he have the American record by now? I mean, I don't know. You look at his races. All right, first two marathons of his career, Olympic trials and Olympics. You're not going to get an American record there. Then he runs Chicago in 2017, but that was without paces. So he just did what he had to win. He used the right strategy. He won it in 209. Then he goes to Boston. Sorry, 2017. He also ran Boston that year. He's second, 209. Boston, it wasn't a fast day in Boston. 2018, Prague Marathon. This was after the Boston disaster that spring. He drops out. He goes to Prague. He wins in 206.07. So that's one of his shots at running fast. He didn't run quite fast enough, but he got, you know, within 30 seconds of the American record. Then that fall, he goes to Chicago. That's really his opportunity. Mo Farah wins that race in 205.11. That's faster than the American record. Rupp is fifth in 206.21. And then since then, he hasn't had a good shot at it because he had the marathon trials last year and then the Olympics in 2021. He ran Chicago in 2019, but he was injured and dropped out. So I'm kind of curious. He And then today, you know, this week, he's running the Olympics nine weeks. He's running Chicago nine weeks after the Olympics. So I'm not really expecting an American record type, especially with the weather. He's 35 years old. Will he ever get the American record? Will he ever run faster than his current personal best? It's a good question because that's the one thing with the marathon. You get two chances a year. And if you're not running a fast course, maybe one, then if you're not a hundred percent and real quickly, Oh yeah, he should have the American record. He doesn't get it. I mean, I think that's one reason Dina and Khalid's records have stood 
they're very good times when they were set and American marathoning on both sides isn't, you know, at the depth of Kenya or Ethiopia or even Japan. And, you know, Ryan Hall, his fastest race, Boston, not a record eligible course. So there's just a, just a, a few limited opportunities that people get, but with super shoes, come on. Well, even with super shoes, though, Rob Weldon, you got to get to what races do people do? So since Dina came along, I mean, how many people do you think were actually good enough to break Dina's record? Maybe Shalane, who took one big shot in Berlin in 2014. She ran 221. If Shalane had run London and Berlin every year instead of Boston or New York or you know these Olympics and stuff, maybe she could have gotten it. I'm not really convinced there's any other American marathoner we've had on the women's side since Dina could break that record. Even Sarah Hall, she's a great runner. She now has the super shoes. I think 220-32 might be the best she could do just because that was a fully optimized effort. I'm willing to be proven wrong, but that might be she might never run faster than that. And on the men's side, yeah, Ryan Hall, okay, he did run London a few times. But if he was going to London or trying to run a PR in Chicago every time or Berlin, maybe Meb, but I really think Meb was more of a just a he excelled on those tough courses, championship style races. His PR was 208. He suddenly could have run faster than that. I'm not sure he could have run 205 low if he was running London or Chicago or Berlin every year. So I think it's these records were really good when they were set. I mean, Knucci's was the world record, right? But you still need to be a big time talent. Even with the super shoes, you need to be a big talent talent on a big, on a fast course. Yes. I mean, runners will publish an article about how, what, how this record's lasted, what, 15 years for Dina? 20 years? 15. But I thought the article was just horribly done. It's like, it's lasted that long because we had no one of the talent level of Dina close to it. Maybe Flanagan. But I don't think she was as good a marathon as Dina. So, you know, with the super shoes, you'd think people might be closer. But, you know, I think now the other American men besides Rupp, you know, people are right. They're not going to be breaking 210 in this weather. So, John, no one else is breaking 210. Rupp might break 210, but nobody else is. It's possible we have no American break 210 in this race in Chicago, but I, I think that somebody will. All right. Yeah, some of these other American men are – you have Ian Butler, who – he's a sub-210 guy. He ran 209.45 American Marathon Project. Colin Mickow, Wilkerson Given, Tyler Germain, Chris Derrick. These are all like 211, 212 guys. Nico Montañez. Clayton Young, who you won the US 15K championships. And I just think we're at an interesting point. Now, maybe marathon in the US has been this way actually for 20 years. But why are we talking about 211, 212 guys? Because it's interesting. Weldon has this rule that we should only talk about. Well, it's like we should, you know, they should set their goals on 202. I mean, <laughs> that's we're American distance fans. That's who we grew up. We, we, we follow them in college. We get them. We know their name. They mean something more to us than most people know more about Clayton Young than they do. Sadly, sure. Katata. That's just the way it is. Weldon. It's like what? Why does why what? When John was a kid, why did he care about Brighton Hove Albion when they were in the, in the English third division team? Because they were the local team. That's why. Fair enough. Fair enough. We won actually the local team. I had to drive like probably over an hour to get there, which in England is quite a lot. Fair enough. But I pose the question: How many American men will break the women's world record in Chicago this year? 
Ooh. Will we get five or more? No. No, 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 no. We got a critical mass of this 211, 212 range, though, Robert. I mean, Add three I feel like to that. we're going to see a couple of these guys will pop one. The thing is, we don't know. I mean, we've got the Hansons project. They're basically like half their team is making their debut here. Abdi, Abdi, Ben Kendall. Ian Le- I'm not sure if Ben Kendall's on that team, but Ian LaMare, Zach Panning, like they're all going for it. Yeah, well, and listed off some of the 211 guys, Mikhail Given, Tyler Jermaine, Chris Derrick. Yeah, someone's going to have a good race, and there'll be a good story. You'll see, hey, this is another guy in the conversation. We just don't totally know who it's going to be. One other guy I'm going to be keeping an eye on in Chicago. Well, there's two of them. So I guess I'll let one of you guys get to the Budweiser long shot. I didn't know if we were doing free advertising here, but someone has apparently made this proclamation. But I wanted to mention Kengo Suzuki. Kengo Suzuki of Japan, the Japanese record holder. His PR coming into this year was 210. He had run four marathons. He got seventh at their marathon grand championships, the Olympic trials back in 2019. And then out of nowhere, he wins the Lake Biwa marathon in February and runs 204.56. He's the fastest non-African born marathoner in history. And now he's running Chicago. I'm going to be curious to see how he does. I'm very excited. I just wish the weather was better to see how fast he could go. But I was, it's great. It's a great addition to the field. Now, does someone want to talk about their long shot, who I don't really think is a long shot based on how good he's done in the half marathon? John, I will. The Budweiser long shot. There used to be this ESPN racing thing, and they had the Budweiser long shot, so I still remember it. Speaking of such, if you own a brewery, you want the Let's Run.com beer, the beer of Let's Run.com, and beer of runners everywhere, hit me up. Hit me up. We'll strike a marketing arrangement. Everybody will drink it. Oh, yeah. I'm happy to shell for beer if if a brewery wants to step up and sponsor the podcast or let's run.com. Yes. And our Budweiser long shot, Eric Kiptanui. He's coached by Renato Canova, let's run.com message board poster and fame coach. This guy's 31 years old. Hasn't done a ton. And today's era his marathon debut was a 206.15 then he ran a 205.47 but this guy was away from the sport for five years he joined the kinder military at 20 within that to 25 returned to running at 25 as a 58.42 half marathon but now he says look i'm ready to run 203 204 i think if that's the shape you're in you're a contender in this race Absolutely, yeah. I, I don't view him as a long shot. I mean, he's run fifty-eight, forty-two, and two hundred five. I, I think he's a serious contender for the win. All right, folks, and we're going to break down that field in great deep depth on Friday on the Friday fifteen after we go to the press conferences. There's a virtual press conference in Chicago. John's going to be in, in place in Chicago. So join the supporters club now. Let's run dot com slash subscribe. John's wrote, wrote an, written an amazing article on the four by one debacle in Tokyo. Talked to Wallace Spearman. You can check that out now if you're a VIP subscriber. Also, if you're a VIP subscriber, you get a free base training program by me and John Kellogg. And I've been coaching some people individually. I'm not really sure if I want to do the one-on-one coaching. I've, I've coached like one, two, three, four people. Let's see here. One got a full ride to college right away. One won a state championship. But that was after he fired me and John. He was mad that he only ran like 920 in his opener. Then he ended up running 920 at the end of the year and winning state. But um, And now another person. I forgot I was even coaching this person because we didn't really do the one-on-one coaching. This is my text message of the week. I just said, hey, we've got 
he wrote me about marathon plans. I said, we'll design just like a basic plan for you for a Boston qualifier. He followed it, and here's the email. She got this text on Sunday morning. I owe you and John Kellogg a huge thank you. Following your marathon training plan led me to a 246.02 finish to crush my goal of 250 and snag a comfortable BQ. Thanks for accomplishing a life, helping accomplish a lifelong goal, Rojo. This is from Clay Martin, a.k.a. Harrier Stew. VIP subscriber signs up. Send him a, what John Kellogg calls the Can Marathon Program. Gets the BQ. If you want me to coach you, I'll consider it. Coaching, email me, coaching at letsrun.com. But we do want to hear from you. 844-LET'S-RUN, 844-538-7786. We've been begging you to call the show. Unfortunately, I have not been checking the voicemail. John made me check the voicemail. We're going to be playing a voicemail at the end of the show. Give that person a free pair of on shoes. So keep calling. We'll be checking the voicemails more regularly. And congrats to Clay for the BQ. I feel like we got to, Robert, you're patting yourself on your back for your coaching, but it's not all the coach. Some, the athlete has to do his rot too. So congrats oh, I forgot. to Clay. He actually had to run the race. Uh, the, the, I thought they just, <laughs> I used to say at Cornell, look, when you get to the conference meet, they're going to have you turn in your training logs. And whoever's got the best training log, they get a 30 second head start. Now, I used to always say, you don't get to start a head start because of your training log. You got to be healthy, et cetera. But congrats on the BQ. Clay, speaking of Clay, Clayton Young is in this race. He's an NCAA champion, 10,000 meters. I just think if you're that type of talent, you're a Chris Derrick, 208. 208 is where you're at. That's, now I guess maybe Rome wasn't built in a day, but those are the expectations I have for that type of talent. Okay, do we want to talk a little bit about Boston or do we want to talk about the famed Baltimore Marathon that's this weekend? The 17 year old high school that I want to talk about. Make a point there. I mean, we got Sherwin Flanagan's double, but we got to save that probably for the end. That's what everybody's clamoring for. I think we should talk about Boston. You know, it's interesting. These fields, I think the Chicago fields are a bit more competitive, but there are some intriguing ent- entrants in Boston. Particularly, I think the men's American race is going to be quite good. You think Chicago is more competitive than Boston? Not on the women's side, John, please. Uh, not on the women's side. That's, that's true. But... It, I think the absolute best women in the field could be better. I mean, the the problem with this women's field, I was looking at it this morning. All right, here are the top entrants. Yebergal Molesse, 2-19-36. No races since January 2020. Edna Kiplagat, 2-19-50. That PR is from 2012. She's a legend, but she's also 41 years old. Mari DeBaba, Olympic bronze medalist in 2016, but she hasn't raced since 2019. Then we do have Angela Tanui. She's won two marathons this year. She's run 220 this year, so she looks fit. Then Wojna Shadessa, no races since 2019. I mean, a lot of these athletes are just, it's their first race since COVID. And I just have no idea. Some of them, I'm sure, are washed up. Some of them are probably going to be fit. But there are just a ton of question marks. Like Ruth Chepinkedich, I know if she's around, she's a total stud. Okay, that's that's fine, but there's like 16 women that have broken some crazy stat, 223. So there's enough of them. We're going to have a good African presence. Three yes, or four yes. of them are going to run a good race. And then you've got um, Jordan Hesse. You've got Molly Huddle, Des Linden. This, to me, is is very interesting. You know, So I'm excited to, to, to see, can Jordan do something decent? Is Molly Huddle done as well? I mean, after this race, I'm going to say, Jordan Hesse, is she done? Yes or no? Same thing with Molly Huddle. Des Linden, I kind of feel like she's already done. But I think she'll run a solid race, but I don't think she's in the Why do you think Dez is done? 
Des smoked both of them at the Olympic trials. She was fourth at the Olympic trials. She just broke the fit. I mean, grind the 50k world record was soft, but she broke that earlier this year. Why is Des done? She's not done in terms of being a competitive and American, but I think Shailene Flanagan could be a competitive American if she wanted to be and sort of be a top 10 person at one of these races. I just don't think she's ever going to contend for one of these anymore. So, you know, th- that's kind of interesting to me. What, what do we have on the men's side? So the men's side, yeah, the American field, you've got Abdi Abdurrahman. He's doubling back from the Olympics. And actually, Robert, that's a good point. This women's race actually is, they're definitely, I'm going to be interested to see what Huddle does, what Hase does. I'm not, if I say bombs, I'm not saying she's done. I still, I had a talk with her coach, Pete Julian, earlier this week. And he basically, he made a very interesting analogy saying that this was, she was basically going through what's called the Stockdale paradox. And Jim Stockdale, he was a prisoner of war in the Vietnam War. And he got shut down and he got through it, not by being optimistic and say, oh, we're going to be rescued. He got through it by admitting to himself that the next few years of his life were going to suck. And it was going to be rough. He had faith eventually he'd get through it, but he had to accept the day-to-day reality that right now his life sucked. And that was essentially what Pete Julian said that Jordan Assay kind of has to accept is that the next year or two, getting back to that shape she was in, that's going to suck. It's, she's going to have rough days. It's not all going to be fun, but you've got to have faith at the, at the end. You're going to get through it, but you don't want to be optimistic saying, okay, Boston, here's the race. It really goes well for me. You know, got to be a little more patient. So I thought that was very interesting from Pete, but I'm not going to like, if Jordan is say bombs again, I hope that she doesn't write herself off. She's still only 30 years old. She's got a couple of years, you know, several years left possibly if she can get that to that level. So, John, this was a political conversation you had with Pete Julian? No, he he brought up this idea of the Stockdale paradox, which I'd never heard of before. I found it the app, I thought the application to this situation was very interesting. And he said it it's something he relies on a lot with his athletes when they're going through a rough patch to accept that right now it might suck, but not to you know get too optimistic about coming back too soon. That sort of thing. James Stockdale, John, he was Ross Perot's vice presidential candidate in 1992. Really? I never knew that. Got to be the same guy. That'll help you out for Jeopardy. Jeopardy, John. It will. He said he said to look into him because he'd have a fascinating life, so I need to read up a little bit more on it. But Robert asked me about the men's field. So the men's field, Americans, two of them stand out to me. Scott Fauble, who is just as consistent as they come, and he's run 209 in Boston. He was you know the last Boston Marathon, in fact. He ran 209. He was leading up Heartbreak Hill. I think he'll be up there again. Sounds like his prep has gone quite well. I think Ben Rosario, he's like, look, has his build-up as a whole gone better than any of his other build-ups? I'm not sure. But when he's looked at his best, this is probably the best he's ever looked, some of the workouts he's cranked. So I think he looks pretty good. Colin Benny, who ran 209 at the Marathon Project last year, he was top 10 at the Olympic trials. He's run, he's two for two running good marathons in his career as well. This is a home game from him. He's a Massachusetts native. I think those two should probably be battling it out for top American. I'm just kind of writing off Abdi having anything left after the Olympics. He didn't run great there, and he's also 44 years old. But when you write off Abdi is when he comes and kicks your ass. So maybe he'll be able to do something as well. We know he's got the talent. And then actually Augustus Mayo of the... Is he still with the world-class athlete program, Robert, with the U.S. Army? You said that he might be being deployed to Korea... But he was fifth at the Olympic trials, and he's running this race. So I'd be interested to see if WCAP 
decides to keep him on if he ends up being the top American and beating these guys. Yeah, I've been texting with Scott Simmons because a lot of the athletes have left the program. And, you know, the program is designed to be a three-year program. And then you're supposed to go back to a mil- one-year military service unless you do something extraordinary like make the Olympics or something like that. So despite being fourth at the Olympic trials, Scott really tried to vouch for him to keep him in the program. I think they're going to make him do a year in Korea. Um, but I don't know exactly. I haven't have, that's not 100% confirmed, but it sounds like you know that's the case. So he could be up there. There's a number of American names. There's also Jake Robertson of New Zealand, and then you know Yuki Kawaichi of Japan. But then we got you know the Ethiopians and Kenyans to, that you know obviously are probably most likely to win it. I haven't John hasn't having written that preview. We'll have that up on the website. We'll break it down in great detail on the Friday um, 15, as I said earlier. But one person is doing both these races, John Shailene Flanagan, and she's who. I don't know how to say her name. Shalane, Shalane Flanagan. Thank you. It's Elaine, like L-A-N-E. Whatever. I don't understand why it's a big deal if I don't say her name. I mean, you Boston people. Well, she's have- only she's one of the most famous, accomplished runners in the history of American distance running. She has an easy to pronounce name. This isn't like you have to master some French accent. It's Shalane. It's quite simple, and you consistently butcher it. So it does bother me when you. It's like you know messing up Joe Montana's name or Tom Brady. Like it's a, it's a simple name to say. I think she's earned the respect of pronouncing it correctly. Shalane Flanagan is running both. She's run already Berlin and London, 238 in Berlin with a big negative split, 235 in London, went 75 and then basically 80 minutes. But a lot of that was the wind, second half. But I was just like, back-to-back days on a marathon, what in the hell is possible? And again, I called my coaching buddy, John Kellogg. He's like, I go, what's your prediction? He's like, I don't even know how to predict this. He's like, DNF on the second one? He's like, if you went hard, if you went all out in the first one, it's going to be hard to do the second one. And then he thought about it some more. He's like, well, I would run the first one more like a long run, like a fast, long run. So then he thought maybe 250. So I think if she tries to break three in both, she can. But if that first one's anything under 245, so I'm going to go over under. Over under for the combined race is 540. I think she can go under, but I don't think she is. I'm going to go say over. No, I'm going to go under. Under 540. I think she'll go under 542. But it's interesting. I was talking to my roommate about this as well. Like, how do you approach it if you're Shalane? And her goal, her stated goal is to break three hours in all these marathons that she's run. I would just try to break three as easily as possible in Chicago. Don't go out and do anything crazy, especially with the weather. Try to run something in the two fifties, then go to Boston, see how you feel and, and give it a, give it a go. I guess she does have another week. Like she doesn't get the break until after the virtual marathon, which is October 17th, because then you got, I think two weeks, three weeks until New York. Is that right? You get a, She has to do another one next week and then she gets a break. I would, Try to push that to October 24th if she could. But yeah, try to go break three as easily as possible in Chicago. And then if you want to let it loose, you're feeling better in Boston, go ahead. But try not to get too carried away. There is going to be an emotion like, oh, this is way too easy. I shouldn't be running 250s. But you got to remember, you have that that 26.2 miles less than 24 hours later. Now, Robert was saying Shalane died the second half of London because of the wind. Now, that played a part, but... According to herself on Instagram, she just went out too hard. She posted, you know, those things like, quote, don't go out too hard or, quote, save some for the end of the race. 
Well, yesterday I did no such thing. For the first time ever, I had to stop and walk in a marathon. So there you have it, ladies and gentlemen. You can run 235 walking in the marathon if your name is Shalene Flanagan. And she said she started the wrong coral. Corral? Anyway, she started with a sub-elite men, got in a little over her head. And if she does that in Chicago in the heat, look out for Monday. But this whole thing of doing all the world marathon majors at one fall under three hours, originally I was not impressed. I'm very impressed now because she's pushing herself in every race. She's not content to just mail it in and run 258, 258, 258. But this weekend is a big test. What can she do back to back 52 miles in two days? And if she wants to not feel bad about walking in a marathon, maybe she should run Baltimore. I was reading the paper this week. The Baltimore Marathon... Actually, I didn't read this in the paper. I read this in the message board. I'm mistaken. So we've got this, like, it's called the Baltimore Running Festival. They've got a marathon, half marathon, the relay race, etc. And this is one of those press releases that, you know... They put a negative as a positive. Baltimore Run Fest introduces cupless racing in 2021. The Baltimore Running Festival is a cupless race. COVID has forced everyone to look at new and inventive solutions to race day challenges in order to reduce touch points for our volunteers and participants and to keep disposable cups out of the Baltimore community and waterways. We are initiating a cup-free policy. We have used this program for all of our other Corrigan sports events and have received solid reviews. Traditional water strips require lots of volunteer groups that are hard to come by in the current climate. It is also good for our bay, the environment, and safe for runners. So people are wondering, should they carry their own water? You're supposed to, I think, carry a water bottle, and then you come to the station and they have like a bunch of water spouts, and then you fill up your own thing. So what do you guys think of this? To me, this is classic 2021. Reminds me of the hotels. Like I, I traveled for a wedding for COVID. And I stayed in a hotel for the first time. And now none of the hotels are offering room service. So I'm like, oh, people are just like blaming stuff on COVID. And now, you know, I mean, we don't really need, like, do you, I, I don't have a maid come clean my room every day when I'm at home. But for some reason, in a hotel, I have it, but you can live without it. Same thing kind of with water, I guess. Sounds kind of ridiculous to me. I mean, if I was signed up to run this race, I just wouldn't do it. Water, water stations are a critical part of a race. I guess it sounds like they still will have water, Robert. There are spigots or something. It's just a little inconvenient because you have to actually stop and, you know, with the, the beauty of a cup in a marathon is you can continue running while holding the cup. Well, I think for the average person, like they don't mind slowing down. They, they could, you know, take a little break, get some water. Maybe it's not that big of a deal. But yeah, if I was kind of an elite runner, it really, I mean, are they going to have an elite aid station? Like they can still get their bottles if they lay them out ahead of time. I don't know. And I was thinking, we do have a big trash problem here in Baltimore. Um, and Eric, who used to live in Baltimore, was posting on this thread, you know, about it. But it probably is hard to get volunteers, you know, during COVID. Maybe they don't want to pay them. But this, to me, is just like classic a la carte of America. Like, nobody has benefits in their jobs. People do Uber, Lyft. Like, okay, we're not even going to have volunteers for water anymore. Pick up your own trash. This is a marathon. I, I, I don't get it. You need water. Or are we going to go old school like Japanese where they didn't even offer water during the races and you're just expected to go out? But you need water during a marathon. The race should provide it. And I'm sorry, but if you're at all competitive, you're not going to want to stop and fill up your own water. That's not how it works. The race should offer water. Now, if they want to encourage the like 
hobby joggers in the back to bring their own water bottle and fill it up to reduce the number of volunteers they have to do. They could pay people to pick up the trash. Uh, I don't know. Maybe this just shows it's harder to get workers these days. It's probably even harder to get volunteers. So there's a message board thread on that. We'll link to it in the show notes. We want to hear what you have to say about that. But speaking of like carrying your own water, web guy Eric said he's going to carry his LMNT. It comes in these little packets. Now you could drop it in water real quickly. It would travel very easily, but that just seems like a pain. The race does offer, I don't know what it is in Chicago. My apologies to, I assume, Gatorade or Powerade. It has a lot of, a lot of sugar which element has no sugar, just pure electrolytes. So it's interesting that Eric is going to carry his own stuff. That shows how much he likes the stuff. Me personally, I'm like, I might just go for speed. It's just much easier to be an elite when you have your own water bottles and put whatever the hell you want in them. And I assume that's what's going to happen in Baltimore. The elites will still get their own water bottles. Well, what do you think of this self-serve refill stations for road races? Is it the future? You can post on the message board. There's a thread about it. We'll link to it in the show notes. Another thread that I've started this week, 17-year-old Japanese boy by the name of Kita Seto has run 1331. He also ran 337 in July. This is a age 17 record for Japan. It's way faster than the U.S. record as well for that age. And it just got me thinking, there's a there's a website that has the age group records. And I was looking at them to see if this was a world record. The age 16 world record, 1254 by Abraham Churkos of Ethiopia. Age 17 record, 1254 of Isaiah Kowicz. So I'm reading that. By the way, whatever happened to Isaiah Kowicz, Sean, I should have you do a feature on him. He's only like 27, 28 right now. Like that guy was a step. When I was reading this, I was like, this is the all-time age cheat list of all time or maybe these guys were age cheats and on steroids and that's why they've never been heard from again i guess Chekos was turkos was like fifth in the olympics but i haven't done much recently these guys and then i was going through the list after that though age 19 elliot kipchoge 1246 so these can't all be age groups because either kip if chip koji was an age cheat at age 19 that means he would be older than 36 now and he just won the damn olympics so I think his age was probably accurate. or he, I mean, it's just amazing he's still going strong. Whatever it was, 17 years after the fact of him running 1246, he's still the world's best marathoner. His career has been amazing. He's the Tom Brady of, of, the, of the distance running. Pretty amazing. But you got him on the list. Age 20, Daniel Coleman. 21 is Bekele. 22 is Gebra Celeste. And then you've got, what, Joshua Cheptegei? How old is Cheptegei? 20... Oh, he was born in 96, I think. So he'd probably be 24 or 25 now. So I guess, you know, that you're getting to the world records at that point. Speaking of Tom Brady, John, are you okay? Health check, status check. Goat has returned, defeated the Patriots. Yeah, I'm fine. You know, the Patriots put up a good show against him. And our run game, somehow we almost won a game when we turned the ball over twice and had negative one rushing yards. It's it's pretty much a miracle that we were even in that game. And Nick Fault, people are ripping Belichick for letting him attempt a 56-yarder. He hit the upright. Nick Fault's been automatic for the Patriots. And it wasn't, look, I was at the game. Everyone's like, oh, it was a pouring rainstorm. It's impossible to play. It was not raining very heavily for most of the game. And it wasn't raining that much for the folks. I didn't think it was that much of a big deal to kick in those conditions. 
I was fine with them attempting it. You know, the problem is with one and three, we need to start winning games. But I liked what I saw from the Patriots. Did you have a big rain suit on, John? Like, how hard was it raining? It wasn't. For most of the game, it was like barely drizzling. Like, I did have a pullover. By the end of the game, yes, I was I was a bit wet because it, it had been three or four hours in the rain. But it was never pouring. Not once was it pouring. And did you boo Brady, John? Did you hope he gets sacked once the game started? How was that? No, I cheered him. Everyone cheered him. I was worried they were going to be boo buds. They, they, I mean, they booed Tampa Bay on offense sometimes when they took the field, but that's fine. They're the opponents. But they always cheered Brady. Brady seemed happy to get the love. And I was hoping they would sack him once he got on the field because it would help the Patriots. And they only sacked him once. Would have been nice if you know, he ran for a first down. That was a pain. But he didn't have a great game. He was overthrowing his receivers. All right, guys. I have to get out of here. As I said, I'm an eight day of the, of the COVID quarantine. My son... It's taking us longer to record the podcast than I was anticipating. My wife's child-rearing duties are over. Mine are beginning. But I did start another thread I want you all to talk about. Did John McDonald ever have a 29-04 fifth man? So, inside cross-country is just so deep now. I noticed that Arkansas has a fifth man that's run 29-04. He's hoping to be their fifth man. And I started the thread on the message board. I actually went through every Arkansas team to figure out how fast their fifth man was. They're pretty good. And then Adam Daly posted on there. He's like, hey, in 1999, I was the sixth man. He didn't say what his PR was at the time, but that that May, I ran 28.34. So we're amazed by the times of, of the depth right now. Those Arkansas teams back in the day were pretty damn good. I'll see you guys on Friday. Yeah, I don't know what else we're supposed to say on that topic, Weldon. I think, yeah, Arkansas did have some pretty loaded guys. Because it was interesting. Like, Niall Bruton was a really good runner. He was their fifth man twice. Matt Kerr was... <laughs> You know, he was a terrific runner. He was the fifth man twice. He was the fifth man as a true freshman and a fifth-year senior. I thought that was pretty interesting, 1995 and 1999. That's pretty rare to be a fifth man as a freshman and a senior on an NCAA title team. But I don't really have any wider thoughts on that. Yeah, I just remember the Arkansas teams. They were really good at the mile, and then they would just trot out these 330-something guys that would be like the fifth guy. They're not cross-country guys, but you went to Arkansas, you ran cross-country, and you won the national championship. That's just sort of how it worked. And it worked most years more than not. But the depth, I think, is getting better at the NCAA level across the board. Well, times are faster. Now, some of that's going to be super shoes. But I think there's more general training knowledge out there. It used to be, I think, a few coaches were training properly, and now sort of the basics are out there. The internet, there's more just knowledge in general. This weekend at Arkansas, Colorado School of the Mines, Division Two program, crushing it, winning the meet easily. But Arkansas sat out its f- top four guys who are, I think they're all from Kenya. And that's how Robert saw this. The fifth guy was third overall in the meet, so he ran very well. Yeah, actually, you speak about the Arkansas having the milers on that cross-country team. I'm always a fan of that. I love seeing the milers step up. That's why I wanted Cole Hawker to run across this fall. It reminded me of Oregon in 2008, their title team. So they were there was Rupp, Piskedra, and Shadrach Biwat, who have all developed into marathoners. But then their fourth runner, Matthew Centrowitz, in 36th place, he was a miler. And he was a great... He, ran, he got top 10 NCAA cross. People forget that's about Centro. But he's... You know, he's been known as a 1500 runner. He was a very talented cross country runner as well. And then that seventh man, do you know who the seventh man on the 2008 Oregon Ducks was? Well, then 
finished in 59th, uh, sorry, 75th overall, 59th in the team scoring. Not Andrew Weeding. Andrew Weeding. He was 59th in cross country? So, sorry, so, no, he was 70, 75th. He was 59th in the team score. And that was seventh man? That was a, They were a very good team. I mean, they, they crushed it. But he won the... So actually, they scored 93 points. That's about average for a winning team. But he w- goes to the Olympics in the 800 meters and then comes back that fall and is the seventh man on an NCAA cross country title winning team. I think that's pretty awesome. That's amazing because he's a big dude and he's an 800 guy. There's like no pretense that he's like, uh, well, I get, well, he's not a 5K guy. I mean, I guess he did run 331, so he's a 15 guy, but that's an impressive one. Props to Vin Lanana. He can, he can coach the cross country. John, I noticed Vin was getting some criticism on the boards about his team showing this year. You know what that means to me? They're getting good? Yep. Coaches are going after them. Other people are going after them. They're worried. Vin's probably recruiting people up. So now a few other coaches are trying to trash him on the boards. That's how it works. If you're being talked about in let'srun.com for just sort of for some unusual reason, like, oh, wow, look how bad Virginia did. And I'm like, oh, no one starts this thread without a reason. So I say look out for Virginia. I think that's what that means to me. All right. Yeah, I've been keeping an eye on them in UNC because since Milton – Vin got there. I think they've been starting to recruit pretty hard. Okay, a couple more things before we go here. Well, then, we talked about at the start. Robert said that the Valencia Marathon dumped on New York, Boston, Chicago, the American majors. I think he meant to say dunked on. And they dunked on them by getting the defending champions at all three American majors on the men's side, which is Jeffrey Camorra in New York and Lawrence Chirono, who is the reigning champion in Boston and Chicago, they've all passed up the opportunity to defend their title. And instead, both will be running the Valencia Marathon this year in December. And we give Valencia a lot of credit. We say, you know, it should be considered a major because of the fields they assemble. This is proof. Now, Grant Lawrence Toronto, he did run the Olympics. Maybe he didn't want to come back quite as quickly to run a race in October versus one in December. Jeffrey Camaro, he's still kind of coming back from injury, but he did, you know, he's running it well earlier this year. So maybe he wanted the later race as well, but I think it's telling that Valencia was able to scoop up the defending champions at all three American major marathons. Money talks, John. Money talks. And the benefactor of the Valencia Marathon is a billionaire. So it's kind of like we said, what is Phil Knight going to do with his money when he dies? If he wants to like endow a race, endow a training group, he very easily could. And we're going to have to come up with some new way to talk about these races because if they expand the World Marathon majors, they might get diluted a bit. But Valencia is one of the premier marathons in the world. It's a beautiful city. I want to go there and see it. Just some of the, the shots of the finish and stuff are just unbelievable it's actually there's not a lot of running races i I think about wanting to do john i think i feel like i gotta do the boston marathon before i die but i feel like i also have to qualify for it so maybe i'll do the valencia boston use valencia to qualify for boston yes there'd be outrage if you took a charity bib weld and they'd be like the founder of let's run cop bq this is a this is a this is a crime against running 
Yeah, maybe. Well, then, with the World Marathon Mages suggesting they might be expanding, maybe we need to create our own series where we just dub things the Let's Run Mages. We have six major marathons. We decide which ones they are. And all the marathons will be competing to get this title. They get the best fields for the honor of being named at Let's Run.com. We give them Michelin stars, like three stars or two stars, that sort of thing. Yeah, I was thinking they might sue, like saying we're taking their name, but Michelin gives out its awards. The let's run.com stars. That's what we'll do, John. Very good idea. Very good idea. And then we'll chart. Does Michelin like charge the restaurants? It's like a money-making grab too. Or maybe people just buy the, buy the books. Yeah. I don't know. There's got to be something in it for Michelin, right? Yeah. They'll have to fly us out, you know, and put us up in like five-star hotels. So we, the, the evaluation committee can check out the races, make sure everything's up to snuff. <laughs> yeah. How, how good was the open bar you had at your post-race party? You know, that sort of thing. Important things, important things. Yeah, are the I assume the post race parties are officially or canceled all these things because of COVID, John? Yeah, for Boston, they normally have like this big get together at Fenway Park. I've never actually been, but it's supposed to be like that's where their post race party is. And they'll have like a, I think they have like official things throughout the city. This one, I think they've said like party on your own, or they've they've given it to like a bunch of different places in the city so you can sort of spread out. But there's not some big gathering spot like they would normally be i'm going to my first wedding next weekend john it's a, it's a big step for me I, just my wife and i we're not going to the big october fest celebration and we're waiting i don't know why we decided not but it's like the one party event for adults in my town where you go out and drink too much it sounds like and i, I don't it's just a sign of maturity or age john and my wife's like i'm just really not interested no it's it's interesting i've been to a few weddings this summer and you know, I'll go hard at the the night before when you get together at the bar and sort of hang out or the wedding itself. And you know, a couple of times I may have drank quite a decent amount of alcohol. You wake up in the morning. I mean, I'm in my thirties now. Well then it's just like, Oh, maybe I should have just had, you know, four or five beers and I can wake up this morning feeling good instead of just trying to go, you know, you have the memories of the night before, but at the same time you're like, Oh, why did I do that? So I, I don't blame your wife for not really wanting to go out to go too crazy anymore. Yeah. When you got a kid who wakes up at seven, no matter what, it's even harder. Wait until your forties, John, wait till your forties. Oh my God. Yeah. Young kids drink responsibly. We, Hey, we're still looking for the beer sponsor. I'm serious. Hit me up. Hit me up. Yeah. It'll, I mean, it'll be harder. The Boston marathon party scene. There are fewer, a lot of the bars in back Bay, which is sort of the hub of the Boston marathon, because that's where the bib pickup is. And that's sort of where the race finishes. They're gone. You know, the pandemic closed them out. So there's still places to go, but some of the ones right near the finish aren't there anymore. So it'd be interesting to see how that goes, but I'm sure it, it'll be good. You know, the weather has been pretty decent. The leaves are starting to turn. It'll be a fun weekend in the city for sure. Supporter club members. I'm sure John will give an update on, what the dating scene is like, dating apps. I'm sure you got you guys are missing out on that. That'll be coming on Friday, Friday 15. Probably not, but. Yeah, I wouldn't make any promises on that one. Well, then. All right, anything else before we get to the long-awaited voicemail? John, we did have a world record on the roads. Kalkadon Gizahingi, Bahrain, coached by the infamous Jama Aden, Set the 10K world record, but it's like 30 seconds slower than the track record. So I think that's all that that deserves mention on the podcast. 
Well, the, the one thing I'm a little confused by, I've seen pictures, I've seen some articles saying that Jama Arden's her coach, but then Kyle Merber's newsletter this morning said that actually it's his 19-year-old son who is the coach. And I think there was a little tongue-in-cheek there by Kyle, suggesting that maybe this coach, this son is a front for Jama. I'm not exactly sure. Or maybe it was legit. I, I don't actually know enough about the situation, but... Yes, it is curious that, you know, I don't think a lot of people were expecting Gerda Hagen to get the silver medal. She hadn't really done much the last few years. Then she gets the silver at the Olympics, and now she's broken the world record on the roads. So it's just curious, the association with the Arden family. No, the 19-year-old is not coaching her. And once you get the silver medal at the Olympics, I sort of know she has the ability to break the world record. Come back to me in like five years. Once these records, super shoes, everything, we get all the records kind of where they should be, then I might be impressed with the world record. But now, not really. Yeah. I mean, there's we've seen so many world records on the roads this year. You know, we had just the, the Adidas event earlier. We've had the half marathon world record. Golden. The half marathon world record, it does get broken a lot, but that's at least like pretty legit you got to run fast to do that the 10k world record a women's only 10k world record it doesn't really move the needle for me yeah i mean what kibo at candy is it 57 something now 57 32 32 57 something it's almost closer to 56 that's nuts and he's debuting in new york right yeah no new york i'm very excited for new york there's Candier's debuting. You got Bekele coming back for his double. That's going to be very exciting. Unfortunately, the women's field took another hit today. Breaking news. I don't know if we don't need to do the siren, but Alphine Tulimuk last week withdrew. Today, Emily Sisson announced she has withdrawn from the New York City Marathon. So that's sad to see because they got a really good American field. They had all the American Olympians. They had Kellen Taylor and Stephanie Bruce. They had Emily Sisson. It was going to be a great American race, and now two, all you know, two of their biggest stars, Sisson and Tuliamak, are both out. So that that is unfortunate. Well, that's not great news, John. But Molly Seidel's still running, right? That's right. I mean, Sisson Robert's not here anymore, but he was always playing her up as the next great American marathon star. But I think we already have a bona fide American star in Seidel, so. Sisson's got to prove herself, I think, in the marathon. Well, she's proved she's run two twenty three in London. She's proved that she's very good, but she's not. She doesn't have. That's not the same as a bronze medal at the Olympics, you know. So, I think the best is yet to come for Emily Sisson. But yeah, she's unfortunately not going to be in New York. Okay, well then, after two months of the wandering in the wilderness for our listeners, feeling like they were crying out into a void. We have listened to the voicemails. We have selected. I don't know if this is the best one, because honestly, I still don't know if we've listened to every voicemail, but it was one that we enjoyed. This is going to be our voicemail of the week. Free pair of shoes headed your way. Can you introduce this and and play this for our listeners, Weldon? And Weldon, I actually believe if this is the Brandon from Maryland that I think it is, that I've met this person a few times at... Coogan's RIP after Milrose. So if it is Brandon, hello and thanks for calling in. Brandon in Maryland. I'll play it because it's kind of right up my alley. I was sort of ranting against 
Americans running up and running like 212 and patting themselves on the back. Here it is. Brandon in Maryland. He gets a free pair of on shoes on sponsored a road to the trials. You call in, you may get some great stuff as well. All right, this is Brandon from Maryland calling for, I don't know, third or fourth time. Well, first of all, I got to stop. Did you hear that? Calling for the third or fourth time. Robert, my God, please check these voicemails. Got a lot to get off my chest. I am, first off, I was at Cherry Blossom, uh, I guess a few weeks ago. I should have reached out. I could have covered it for you all. I got some inside scoop on what would have been the same old American sob story. You look at guys like Noah Girardi, some of these big guys' names crying foul about not being sponsored, and you show up to a race, and you run horrible, and they just blame, oh, I'm an American block. I'm sick and tired of American runners, mainly Americans, signing up for a race. You sign up for a race, do a race. You have sponsors, you have people paying your way, you're getting appearance fees, you're getting this, you're getting that. Show up and race. Don't go up, glorified training run, and then say, oh, yeah, I just have heavy legs. You know, I have 118 miles this week, 110 miles this week. It's horrible. It, just don't go. Don't go. You embarrass yourself. You embarrass the sport. Wow, strong words, John. I wouldn't even go that so far. Embarrassing the sport? Yeah, I don't know. That might be a little over-exaggeration, but we do love our hot takes on the podcast, and I do think, you know, I don't know if I agree with everything Brandon said, but I I found it entertaining to listen to. So thanks for calling in, Brandon. And if you are listening and you haven't called in, try giving us a call this time. Hopefully we'll get to the podcast in more timely fashion, to the voicemail in more timely fashion. For the record, John, on the podcast next week, I will say I have checked the voicemails. I have to take this responsibility off Robert's plate. He's just clearly not doing it. Well, I hope when you say that, it will be true. It won't be a lie when you say you've checked the voicemails. So I'm going to hold you to it, Weldon. Right. Because there's a couple other good ones, but they were sort of more dated. This one was a little dated, but not really. So thank you, Brandon, for the hot take. And... Also, I don't think many Americans are getting appearance fees for the Cherry Blossom race, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. I bet Jay Simpson got one, but she didn't sandbag. She went out there and, and raced and trained hard for it. Who got one? I, I assume Jenny Simpson got one. Uh, they sort of were, seemed like she was kind of promoting it a bit, but I don't know for sure. I stand corrected. She can make an appearance at the expo, that sort of thing. And for a second, John, I thought I just heard the words OJ Simpson. I was really confused. Next week's podcast, we'll discuss OJ Simpson. The glove didn't fit, John. Yeah, isn't it? The anniversary's got to be. Didn't the verdict come out in October 94? This is probably like 26th anniversary or so, something like that. We'll have a yeah, de- detailed breakdown of the 1995 OJ Simpson trial. I could tell you where I was when the verdict came out. Wait, where were you? I want to hear the story. I was in, I I skipped class, I'm pretty sure. I was in college, John. That dates me right there. I was in the Yale, each little residential college, Davenport, has a common room with TVs. And I was in there. The verdict came out. This is sort of life-changing, not life-changing, but the verdict came out and two African-Americans, well, that was the proper term now. I guess now we're back in vogue with black. These are Yale students. And they started cheering when the verdict came out. And I was just remember thinking, wow, 
I see the world very differently because I was pretty convinced OJ was guilty and a guilty man just got off. And, but I guess for them, it's like, Hey, there's justice for black people in America. And I, I, I think the lesson from OJ, it shows if you got money and you can get a good lawyer, you can get off. It, it's even, this is 26 years ago. Race was, I mean, they've still got racial problems in America, but I think it shows even then race wasn't the biggest factor. It's how, how much money you got and how good your lawyers are. What sort of justice you get in America. Yeah. Wow. That's a fascinating story because you hear stories about how the verdict was received very differently in the white and black communities. But for you to see that, for, wait, were, the, were, were there other people in the room? How was ever, how was the entire room react reacting? Everyone else was quiet. I, I remember thinking kind of shocked by the verdict and I feel like it was these like two African-Americans were just cheering like, yeah. And I was like, whoa, I was just sort of shocked because I felt like justice wasn't served and that's what we want. But I guess the founding fathers would say, well, you know, they weren't really designing justice for all back then. I'm not sure, but the principles were there. Definitely not. The principles were there, right? Like innocent until proven guilty. And the burden is on the state to prove its case. And I, the jury appears felt like it wasn't proven. So, yeah, we don't have to rehash the OJ OJ case on the podcast. We'll have London. Sorry, already talked about London, Chicago, and Boston. Great weekend. Listen to the Friday fifteen on Friday. We'll get you set for those, and then we'll have a full recap after the incredible marathon weekend to come out next week. So stay tuned and check out the site for all our previews and on-site coverage. Yep. VIP Supporters Club members, you will hear the inside scoop after we talk to the athletes on Friday. Until then, signing off.